a science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from, well, me. The story was recorded in June 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn as part of the Story Collider six-year anniversary show. So, one of the things that I noticed most about my grandfather's funeral was how many people there knew him, which shouldn't have been surprising. This was his funeral. Um, But my whole life, I'd been wondering that question. I'd been wondering how many people actually know who my grandfather is. Because my mother had told me a lot growing up about what a big deal he was. And I should back up and say, my mother's family is a little bit odd. They really like status. So, for example, my aunt, uh, my great aunt, Uh, gave herself an English accent so that she would be more sophisticated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, she grew up outside of Boston. Um, And I grew up in Corvallis, Oregon, which is like the pro... Yeah, so... uh, Did you? No, okay. So... Um, I grew up in Corvallis, which is like, it it is like the suburb suburb. It wants to be a suburb so hard that it acts like it, except that there's no big city nearby. So it's like the platonic ideal of a suburb. Um, And everyone there is just sort of like, yeah, you know, you go down to the strip mall and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think my mom really wanted to be there because she had grown up near Boston and on Martha's Vineyard. And her dad was a Yale professor, my grandfather. And she would tell me things like, your grandfather is this big named scientist, and he's important. And I never really believed her because of all these other things my family would do that was really, really weird, like the English accent. <laughs> and after that, I had, so I had gone to college. Um, I majored in physics, and I had learned something about scientists. Um, so when, when I was growing up, my mom would always tell me that uh, my grandfather was really sad because he'd never won the Nobel Prize, which sounds like the dickest Dickish-ish-est. My God, what is that word? It sounds like the most dick thing to be sad about. And then I went to college with a bunch of scientists, and I realized they all sort of felt that way. So, like, that wasn't really a signifier of anything. And I started asking... um, He was a a biophysicist, so I started asking my friends in biology if they knew who he was. Um, His name was Fred Richards. Any biologists here know him? Yeah, that was college. So... (laughs) And, and I was starting to get this image in my head of, of okay, I'm, I'm understanding who he is. Um, I should also say, like, I grew up 3,000 miles away from him. I didn't know him very well. Like, most of what I knew about him is when we visited his house, there was a lazy Susan at the breakfast table. That was new. And, uh, and once he dropped a rock on my hand. 
Um, he, was, he, he was sorry about it. Um, but so, so I, I was starting to get an image of, of who he was and, like, what the place is in the world and also, like, trying to understand, like, who my mom was, right? Because this was really about how do I relate to how my mom views the world and how do I understand these things that she's saying and how do I process and, like, understanding that she wanted to be part of this bigger thing and had ended up in Corvallis, Oregon and didn't really want to be there. And, and that's, it's that moment when you realize that your parents' view of the world and the way the world actually is are not the same thing. And uh, just to give you a little sense of who my grandfather was, I said he was a Yale professor. Um, he was a Yale professor. He wore a tweed jacket every day. There was his tweed jacket. It had elbow patches. Um, and then when I graduated college with my degree in physics, his graduation present to me was to send me several reprints of his papers. <laughs> which was amazing, right? Um, I think he sent me three. I don't remember what the third one is, but I remember two of them very clearly. One of them was a paper about a box he had designed. So he had made this, this box with a half-silvered mirror in it. And the reason he had done this, and he published a paper about it, um, was he worked in a protein structure. So proteins are these molecules in your body. They do all kinds of important things. And, and they, they, they regulate stuff. They make things happen. They're, they're probably the most important thing in your body, aside from all the other things. Um, but they're very important. And what's really the way they work has to do with their structure. Different molecules are in different places, and they have these little hooks and things. And I'm sure for all the biologists in the room, I'm getting this totally wrong. But what's important is their structure. So everyone wants to work out for every different protein in our body, what is its structure. And the problem is the way you do this, because they're too small to see, is you have to crystallize them and then shoot x-rays at it and make a photograph of the x-rays. And it looks like a mess, and you don't know how to interpret it. So what he did is he figured out that you could take a half-silvered mirror and stick a photograph behind it, shine a bright light on it, and then take little balls and sticks, remember balls and stick models of molecules, and build it inside this box and try and figure out the structure of this protein, which is actually kind of amazing, except that he published this in the mid-1970s, and very quickly people realized you could do that on a computer. <laughs> so, okay, so that was that paper. The other paper was, was incredible. Um, it was an autobiography that he had published in the Annual Review of Biophysics, noted venue for biographies. <laughs> autobiographies as well. Um, and I'm just, the first sentence of that autobiography tells you most of what you need to know about him. The first sentence reads, in 1925, with the essential help of his mother, the author arrived on the scene. <laughs> that was him. And that was most of what I knew. And so I would, I would ask all my friends, do you know who he is? Do you know what he did? Nobody did. Um, and then, and then he passed away. This is in, in 2009. I had just moved to New York, and uh, and he passed away. And so we went up to the funeral. And just before I went to the funeral, I got the answer. I got the answer that that I had expected was there um, because my mom had set up a memorial blog. Again, this was 2009. That was the thing you did. Um, but so I was trying to get to it. So I googled his name, and it came up with a link to Wikipedia. I'm like, oh, he has a Wikipedia page. That's interesting. So I click on it, and, well, I'm going to read you part of this Wikipedia article. Because this is a kind of Wikipedia article that, if you work in the sciences, you see a lot. Here we go. Frederick Middlebrook Richards, or commonly referred to as Fred Richards, is Sterling Professor Emeritus of Molecular Biophysics and Biochemistry at Yale University. 
Richard's most notable accomplishment was when, through a simple experiment, he changed the current view that proteins were colloids into the modern view that proteins are well-ordered structures. The experiment was performed on December 7, 1957, involving the protein ribonuclease A, RNAs A, parentheses, using a particular protease, RNAs A breaks into two parts called RNAs S and the S protein. Initially, no one could purify the two components without... Sentence just ends there. <laughs> Richards found that when separated RNAs S and the S peptide had no RNAs activity, but when recombined in the test tube, the RNAs activity is restored. This conclusion from this experiment shows that proteins maintain order and has thus influenced the idea ligands, there's no extra word in between there, the idea ligands binding to proteins which used by all pharmaceutical companies to design drugs. So that's what he did. And that, that confirmed what I'd thought, right? This is the kind of Wikipedia article that's written about some scientist that, uh, by then I had my PhD in physics, I had seen a lot of these. I knew that meant... He'd done some work. It was interesting work, clearly, whatever the fuck it was. Um, But he'd clearly done some interesting work. Um, One of his students probably wrote that in five minutes while drunk. And and all this stuff that my mom had been telling me about how important he was, was, you know, longing for a world or or something that, that didn't exist. And now the question was to figure out why? What did that mean? And, you know, where was that coming from? And how did I fit into that? And how did I relate to him? Which was the wrong time to have that particular question, because he'd just died. So I get to the funeral. There's, there's lots of um, eulogies. At, you know, that's what happens there. And, um, and then I went home. And I didn't think about it much after that. Um, until a few years later, I was so now I started doing this work where i 'm telling stories about science and and trying to like figure out the the sociology of science and how all these people work and fit together and all these things and I remembered that autobiography he wrote and the, it was actually titled uh, "What Happened to the Fun." And aside from the weird bit about his mother, um, most of that autobiography was him ranting about how being a scientist was no fun because it was mostly bureaucratic bullshit. Can I get a cheer from the scientists in the room? And he wrote that in 2000, and it's only gotten worse. Um, I, so I wanted to like look this up and, and uh, write some things about it and, and things like that, so I type in his name, and again, uh, there's a link to Wikipedia. So I click on it, and it's changed. It's a lot longer, and there's a lot more words there and they're in sentences that make sense. And there's like the whole, there's like the bot, you know, the little box with his photo and like all the places he's been. And there's like a thing on his personal life. And there's like paragraphs on his personal life. It talks about his first wife, my grandmother, his second wife, my step grandmother, my mom, my aunt. It doesn't mention me. That's fine. But uh, it, it talks about his boat, the Hecla 2. Um, not me, but his boat. Okay. He liked his boat. Um, I, I can confirm that. Um, it goes on about all of these things. And, you know, it, it, there's a photo of him in his like windbreaker on the boat. He really liked the boat and so and then it, and then there's a whole section on his science and honestly I still don't understand it but it's much longer and looks better written um, and it talks about various things that he'd done and then and then at the end the thing that you know it's a real Wikipedia article of course is the citation section because citations are needed and this one had a lot of them like 60 70 citations like this is this is somebody has gone in and written this enormous article about my grandfather like, what the fuck is this? 
And so I'm reading through it, and at some point I realize that it's citing as some of its sources uh, two obituaries that had been written about him, and they had been published in Science and Nature. Now, for the scientists in the room, you'll know that's a big deal because those are the two most important journals in science. And to get an obituary in both of them is actually kind of a big deal. So I get a hold of those two obituaries, um, illegally as it happens. Um, <laughs> but I get a hold of those two obituaries and I start reading them. And the third paragraph in the obituary in Nature, it says... Um, in 1957, Richards did blah, blah, blah. I still don't understand the words about what he did. But in 1957, Richards did blah, 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 which arguably should have won him the Nobel Prize with Carl Einfensen. And that meant my mom was right. Now, I'm a, I'm a particle physicist. We learn about quantum mechanics and all this weird shit about the universe, you know, spooky action at a distance. And, like, that stuff is normal for us. We, we just, like, you know, quantum mechanics is like breakfast. Um, I've learned much weirder shit about the universe. But sitting there that day and seeing that my mom was right about everything is maybe the weirdest thing that I've ever seen. <laughs> Also, I, I learned about a year later that that aunt who changed her uh, accent to be English to be more sophisticated is actually because she was a secret agent for the CIA. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so all this weirdness in my family was actually, like, actually important stuff, and, like, this was real, and I... What was even going on here? I didn't know what to make of it, and, I, and eventually I realized I needed to figure this out. Like, finally, I needed to figure out who, who was my grandfather and what did he do? I still didn't understand what he did. So I've tracked down the person who wrote this Wikipedia article. It's this one woman. Um, it was reasonably easy to figure out um, who she was. Um, she has an amazing story. Uh, turns out that uh, she had gone to uh, MIT when she was a grad student. Um, although at the time... Uh, MIT was a, a cesspool of sexism, so she didn't get her, uh, her PhD. Um, I say was. Um, <laughs> but then she went on to start a lab with her husband and eventually became the, uh, the chair of biophysics at Duke. So this was an amazing person. She had just decided to, uh, to improve all of the Wikipedia articles on biophysics. And so I, call, I, I tracked her down, I called her up, and I started asking her questions. And I started asking her about my grandfather. And she had known him because uh, she was in grad school where, where he was at the time. And she, she told me all these things that, that are hard to get across here, but, but about how he had inspired. Like the, she said that, that for her and her husband, the way he thought about biophysics shaped everything about how they viewed the world. And he was apparently this amazing influence on everyone in the field. And I had, of course, I'd never heard this before. And this was, this was extraordinary. And I'm talking to her. And finally, I'm like, all right, so what did he do? Like, 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 actually, what did he do? And she said some words, and I didn't understand them. And I started poking at him, like, wait, wait, what does that word mean? What's that? And she stayed on the phone with me for about an hour, going, with me going, wait, what's a colloid? Okay, try again. Let's do this. And about an hour later, I understood what he did. So you remember I, I said that, that he worked on protein structure? And the protein structures are really important because they determine how the proteins work. And knowing that, you know things about fundamental biology and medicinal applications, and, and there's all these reasons to know that. 
Well, back in the day, when people first discovered proteins, they didn't know what they were, they didn't know how they worked. And what they thought was, they, they saw that they had all these amino acids, all these molecules, never mind what that means, sorry guys. Um, and they thought that they were these just blobs of, of, mole- of atoms that sort of like flopped around and were like wiggly and wobbly. Um, the work that my grandfather and Carl Einfensen did independently was they showed that that wasn't true, that proteins were rigid structures. So all this work that people had done on protein structure with all these applications and all this stuff, he did the work that showed it was worth doing in the first place. And that was a pretty big deal. And what really gets me about this is my mom had known something like that. She didn't know what he did, um, but she'd known it was important. She tried to tell me and failed. And like some little shit of a kid, I just assumed she was exaggerating. And it took years, it took stumbling on a Wikipedia article, calling up a stranger and making her sit on the phone with me for an hour for me to really learn who my grandfather was and what he'd done. And there's something about that that leaves me almost angry. Because that should have been something that my mom was able to tell me. And it wasn't. Because we don't know how to tell these stories. We don't know how to talk about science in this way. So that even within my own family, we couldn't communicate who this person was. And I don't know what to do with that. Like, right now, I'm still angry. Right now, I wish that I had known that when I was in high school, so I could have gone and talked to him about it. But that's where we are. And that's the work we have left to do, is to figure out how to tell them better. Thank you. was me. I'm a high-energy particle physicist who left the ivory tower for the wilds of New York's theater district. I'm co-founder of The Story Collider, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Ben Lilly. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely, with help from Ariel Miller. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. We're grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make this all possible. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to me for telling such a great story. Special thanks also to Aaron Barker for making me use that joke. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>